0: Welcome to the second UbuDub podcast, we're speaking to David Thomas about the new Perubu album, The Long Goodbye, but first, soundtrack.
1: There's another one.
0: There's another one. There's another one. There's another There's So, David, we start off in the intro with Mary Had a Little Lamb, which I surreptitiously recorded once when you were doing soundcheck in France. Edison is one of the people that you cite as the four E's. Do you want to tell people about that?
2: The four E's of American culture are Edison, Eisenhower, Einstein, and Elvis. Between those four E's, you can pretty much track and trace and understand American culture of the 20th century. Once Edison invented the phonograph, the whole nature of sound changed. Sound becomes an object, an artifact, and... The whole understanding of sound changes the whole role of the singer and of bands and of music changes because you fracture proportion you know all of a sudden the the voice of the solo singer can become dominant and is no longer subject to being drowned out by a bank of violins and trumpets all of a sudden that that perspective that that uh what's the word that 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 perspective is is fractured you know the proportions are fractured Um, it, It gives the solo singer humanity, mortality. It's a person that lives and dies and has feelings and expresses himself in unique ways that are not possible when you have choruses of 40 people all singing in a foreign language. That's Edison's role in the four E's. What I'm referencing here very forgetfully is scale and the purposeful fracturing and manipulation of scale, which is the foundation of sound recording in the twentieth century. It's a subject I go into quite a bit in the book of hieroglyphs. Eisenhower invented the interstate network of roads in America. They, without Eisenhower there never would have been a Kerouac. You know, without Kerouac there probably wouldn't have been an Elvis. Elvis Elvis brings abstraction to the human voice, expands its possibilities immensely without comparison. Einstein notion of time-space is essential to the understanding of what a song is and how sound can change proportion, can change perspective.
0: Well, the Mary had a little lamb. You do that quite often for sound check. I mean, obviously that was the first uh, phrase that was recorded, and we'll be speaking to Robert Wheeler in the next podcast. I mean, is it something that particularly you set as one of your baselines? Really, that that sense of invention and uh, sound? No.
2: You know, it's it's a lot more interesting than doing check, check, check. It seems appropriate to me, as anybody in Uber would be, an admirer of Edison. An American should be an admirer of Edison.
0: Well, I mean, you talk about singing a lot with, with Edison and how it, it gave a place for the singer, but there's a, uh, that awful phrase, spoken word. Um, there are some tracks on the new album where there is... Uh, more spoken word than than singing.
2: I have to object. There is no spoken word on the <laughs> on the album. It's all singing. Didn't Dylan teach you people anything? Weren't you paying attention? It's singing. You know, I went through this whole thing back in 19 I don't know whenever I started as a singer. 75, let's say, probably 74 where I analyzed what singing was and and how I was to go about it. And first item on my list was singing is the voice of the consciousness. If it is not true, if the style, the method of your singing is not true to the real voice of the human consciousness, then you're not on the right track. There aren't many people who are on the same track. That's okay. That leaves, leaves more room for me. But no, there is no spoken word. And as far as I'm concerned, there is no such thing as spoken word as far as David Thomas goes. I am singing right now. Didn't you pay attention to Dylan?
0: We're going to play uh, The Road Ahead, perhaps to reinforce that point. And it's over nine minutes long, which is quite extraordinary.
2: Well, it's actually, yeah, it's, it's, it's a mega piece, certainly. I mean, how many sections? One, two, three, four. Four four sections. It's, um, uh, it's it's a mega work. I'm very very pleased with it. That's generally in the band the favorite song on the album. There's a river that flows through the heart of darkness, twisting, turning back
1: on itself like a headless serpent in its death throes. Along
2: its banks, deep into the night, natives are singing a strange song. Orboats are coaxed upstream through impossible geometries. Eruptions of steam, the clang of heavy metals and the throb of pink-noise pulse as light's blood flowing through mills and factories linked by random spans and gravel roads and ancient. Can't believe it bridges. Flames rise from the ground in rail yards. The air is dense and granular. Saturated tube cubeworks are woven across roads that are on no map. The ballast dumps at the water's edge. And around hills are the glass shards of deep colors. The confluence Fire and earth, birth and steel, where the sound of the sun itself is trapped inside. Rust-faced, monolithic structures, shamans who work the molten metal through the night are standing outside, waiting for the bar to open. Their eyes, outlined by the paler flesh of goggle protection, track our pilgrims' progress. Imagine a journey up that river, no end in sight, the memory of there ever having been a starting point faded and lost, imagine time frozen, leaving no way up, and no way out,
1: that was what it was like.
0: So one of the other Es you mentioned was Elvis, and in the book of hieroglyphs, um, you make it very clear that it's not just about Elvis it's about the community Elvis creates There's one paragraph where I think you've been in a in a motel room and you talk about the Elvis people gathering and drinking too much coffee and and so the elvis community you've you've put down in writing what's the Perubu community like
2: <laughs> i think they are in a lot of ways the same community the, though i mean this was an elvis convention that i was at you know during elvis death week and the whole place was kitted out with elvis memorabilia the the motel cafe had been renamed the aloha cafe And they'd be drinking coffee and up all night, literally up all night, talking about Elvis. And grannies from Maine pulled up in their kitted-out Elvis vans. And the one thing that was very clear to me was that, number one, these people are not the joke that snotty intellectuals make out. They're like Ubu fans to me. They're ordinary people who are trying to live responsible lives, going about their business. Again, it's like the definition of noir, what is the definition of noir? Well, to me, noir is stories of imperfect people trying to live a good life in a bad world. That's common to all noir noir characters. They're trying to be good in a bad world, in a bad situation, in something that's gone terribly wrong, out of their control, trying to work through it and keep their dignity and keep their humanity. So, to me in a lot of ways i think they're the same kind of people i highly recommend going to a motel on the outskirts of memphis a mile from graceland on elvis death week and just listening they talk about how he was you know and issues of his drug taking and health and all that come up that you know, nobody's trying to. nobody tries to hide from it. He was a good man at heart. He was a good man led astray in a confused and wicked world, and it, and it affected him. That, to me, is fundamental to Perubu and to Perubu fandom, at least the way I like to imagine it to be. It is ordinary people just trying to get on with their lives, and the politicians... And all the know it alls and the talking heads can get on the TV and on the radio and they can yak all day long. And it doesn't mean a hill of beans.
0: And I think this is the perfect time to play the track, The World. There's some notable names in that community that um, you you don't tend to talk about too much. But one particular story that gets bandied around a lot is when Van Dyke Parks introduced you as the other American genius. He heard this album in its early inca- well, incarnation. You, pointed,
2: you forgot the, <laughs> the most important part of that story, if so, I yeah, can egotistically <laughs> step in there. You know, he he was introducing me to Brian Wilson, and he said, Brian, I'd like you to meet the other American genius, musical genius, which is obviously one of those things I'll take to my deathbed, you know, when everything gets really bad. You know, I think of that, and I think of the time that Linda Thompson, possessor of one of the great voices, Linda Thompson came up to me and said, I wish I could sing like you, (laughs) which, you know, is clearly, clearly insane. Maybe she'd had a drink, I don't know.
0: Um... What's the question? The question is: Van Dyke Parks heard this album in one of its earlier in- incarnations, and what did he have to say about it? Well, oh, he
2: was—he was over the moon. He was excited. It's like when I sent it to the Don. You know, he said, "Put it out. Don't do anything." Except Van Dyke said, "I've—I've I've got a—I've got a part. I can—I've got a part. You know, for what I heard on the pop radio." And I said, that, "Van Dyke, that would be coming of a dream for me." And unfortunately, time and circumstance and a lot of other stuff got in the way, and it never happened. But I believe that Van Dyke and I will will meet each other again, so, someday, somewhere. This was the... And I'd like to also point out, know, I may as well tell you the story of, I was out in um, LA doing the videos for the Cloudland album, and they were, the A&R guy at, at, at Fontana was asking me who I wanted to produce the next album, which was what world's inclusion was. And I said, Van Dyke Parks. <laughs> and he gave me the phone number. And I was, I sat in that hotel room in LA for days trying to get up the nerve to call him. I mean, literally days at however great expense it was to Fontana. Finally, on the last day, I had to go home, call him up. And he answered. I hung up the phone. <laughs> I couldn't deal with it.
0: Well, I mean, you didn't hang up hang up the phone when he rang you about the new album and and that was really cool. still he sends you a, a message on your birthday every year yeah, um, one guy that we have a
2: neutral admiration society going
0: one guy that wasn't present for any of this album process is the first time you've ever had to deal with doing an album without the Haman. Uh, father and son. So um, did you feel that absence?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I was thrown into the deep end by circumstance. Paul, as many of you know, died tragically a year ago, something like that. I think we've done one album where the Hammonds weren't involved at some point along the way. Most of the albums have been done in their entirety at their studio. Yeah, I was in at the deep end. Every day I tried to remember something that I'd seen Paul do. Fortunately, I've always loved to watch people work. I remember when we were making Cloudland and Stephen Hague was doing the producing. I would get in there early just to watch him work. I found it exciting. I like to go see bands work at Soundcheck or I like to see people work together. I learn a lot that way.
0: So under happier things, and I think one of the things that is your favorite subject in the entire world, which is Waffle House. <laughs> I mean, I remember taking you to the airport once and you just almost for the entire journey told me all the different breakfast diners, etc. you were going to go to. But one that really, really, really lights your fire is Waffle House. Waffle
2: House is, is my, my dream come true, though I have to say I do like Cracker Barrel. Now, Cracker Barrel is a little controversial along the ubu ranks but there's no question of waffle house waffle house is the king on their jukebox they've got their own set of songs like country stars and rock stars you know like waffle house girl (laughs) is one of my favorites i I, I make time for waffle house
0: well i mean the the point about waffle house that you explained to me in great detail was it kind of sums up the best of America, because uh, tell everybody what they do when they oh, build yeah. a new or when they
2: build When they build a new Waffle House, they take the keys to the front door and bury them in the parking lot. You know, they dig a hole and bury the keys to the place in the parking lot. The Waffle House never closes. I remember Mike Riley, our American sound man, and I coming back to Cleveland on a Thanksgiving. Now, I didn't have any family in town or anything, and he didn't have any family. So we were driving the van back from somewhere, and everybody else had flown to get to Thanksgiving, you know. So we were driving along, and there was nothing open, you know, except we roll across the interstate, and there it is. Waffle House is open on a Thanksgiving, and, you know, it was a a delight.
0: Waffle House, where you order one thing, and then they ask you four questions about how you'd like it presented to you. (laughs) So, I mean, let's play Fortunate Son, which I don't know whether you, you, you say that it's a true story from when you were in Waffle House, and let's enjoy that.
2: Yeah, I hear voices in my head. That's me. My voice. But the problem with crazy people is that, is that they don't recognize their voice as their own. One person you don't
1: want to be alienated from is yourself. It's got to cause
2: problems. My favorite voice speaks from under the lamplight of a roadside diner in the urban sprawl of Los Angeles,
1: sometime in the 40s, something like a Jim Thompson novel.
2: I like to speak from other places that don't exist. In line at a dare-freeze-whip stand On a bayou outside Houston Inside the ghost ruins of the cities Of my Martian ancestors
0: So I I heard an interview with Cheetah Chrome last week, thanks to Claude Bell pointing it out to me. And, you know, the presenters were being a bit like, well, David's voice, man, and David's voice, man. And he said, David's Elvis, man. David, David's... I can't remember the other person he said. Um, You know, David is David. I love his voice. Your voice has been really commented on on the past couple of tours because it just seems to be getting stronger and stronger and in fact in Montreux you hold a single note for over uh 20 seconds a single note I could
2: do better than 20 seconds I think it
0: might have actually been a lot longer than 20 seconds but it was a long time seconds is amateur stuff uh, go ahead. Do you yeah. feel a difference in your voice if you had to apply a different technique? No, it's like that. What's that?
2: that? What's that? That the guy who there's a painting done of him when he was a young man and he puts it in the attic. And the Dor- Dorian Gray, the picture of Dorian. Yeah, I'm like Dorian Gray. The, the weaker my body gets, the stronger my voice gets. That's why I started sitting down because a I was always in danger of falling back into the drums because my sense of balance was going. But b I discovered if I was sitting down, I didn't have to do anything other than sing. I didn't have to look good. I didn't have to do cliche rock moves or look like I was involved. I was able to concentrate on singing, and time began to slow way down, way, 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 way down. I would be singing a phrase, and I'd get to a syllable, and I'd be, you know, and I was thinking, when is this syllable going to end? As I'm singing, the time has become so slow that I, I, I you know, at times I have to be careful about losing my train of thought. I have to be careful about losing my attention span because everything is moving so slow. That was a great advantage in sitting down. That's what they talk about, you know, great athletes that they seem to have this ability to slow time way down, like Michael Jordan. If you ever watch Michael Jordan, you know, it's clear for that that for that man time is just a, a molasses train. Not that I'm going to compare myself to Michael Jordan, but I just did.
0: So anybody can write to us. Anybody's always really been able to write to you. The emails are all on the website, and I call it Communex. You call it Communex is there for people to just ask us a question or whatever. If they want something from UBUT, they can't see. But um, after the last podcast, somebody wrote and said that they wished they'd heard more about other albums, you're talking like this. And there was a song on 20 Years in a Montana Missile Silo which was particularly tortuous for you to record because you had to really bring your voice down very quiet. Do you want to talk about that one? No. Which one? What's, what's uh, the I am a diving duck for uh, you, dear. Oh, what
2: is that song? Oh, that song. I can't remember the title. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that was... That particular song, I I I was I was running my voice at such a low capacity that you know I wasn't pushing air anymore. I that was you know and you got to push air or you lose control of the ship. But I managed to just get it at the level where something would come out. Yeah, that's that's it's not hard screaming. You know, it's not hard being loud. What's hard is bringing it all down to just about zero. But that's what the song required.
1: Hold me close I feel
0: Get emails about often, very often. Is I don't know whether every band gets this, but you do touch something in people that maybe they wouldn't find anywhere else. They say that Perubu music understands them rather than the other way round. Um, it's very touching. Some of the mails we we get.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, there, and there was that professor in Ohio State University in the Culture Department who wrote this dissertation about how David Thomas understands America better than he does. I talked about how I like to drive through the back roads. Well, one of the things that happens is that everything becomes a mirror. I pass a house. And I imagine myself sitting on the porch of that house, uh, watching the traffic go by. Geography is a mirror, and in geography I include people. One of the most affecting pieces of poetry I've ever come across was that poem by Lawrence Ferlinghetti. I think it's called Crossing America, where he takes a train journey across America, and he's looking out the window at nighttime. (laughs) They pass through a station, and there's a watchman on the platform holding a lantern up and for a moment Ferlinghetti sees his own face superimposed on the mir- on the window on this watchman's face and that to me is what being a singer is it's not about you it's not about self-expression self-expression is evil the best lessons i ever learned was when somebody i respected very much came to me during the ubouwua series of productions saying you need to take yourself out of the production you need to be the third party in the production Again, that reflects the same idea. It's not about you, you know. Not about the tortured singer-songwriter. Please save me from tortured singer-songwriters. I write stories. The stories I write are about the things that I see. The things that I see are just another version of me. See, there's a little rhyme there.
0: So I think we'll wrap this up with um, just a track from Bay City, um, the CD that was uh, played by one of your fans who passed away on Sunday. I'll just say his first name so as not to uh, step on anyone's toes, but we'll say goodbye and thank you. And you can find us at ubuprojects.com. You can find anything you want to buy at uboutique.com because we've got to sell stuff, David. We've got to sell stuff. That's right. <laughs> And um you can also find us on social media sites. Anyway, this one's for Alan. Thank you very much and we'll see you next time.